0: Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Devin Maddox. Devin is a PhD student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is writing his dissertation on Bonhoeffer Emission. Devin, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I've I've been looking forward to this. I I'm from nashville originally so being able to come back i usually come back like once a year um so you've been on the list for a while it was like my first episode was with besner and he was like uh hey make sure you reach out to devon and i was like well i go to nashville once a year so i'll wait and then we'll we'll try to line it up so you've been I, on the I pay list. him
1: a lot of money to <laughs> to get me opportunities like this one so i'll i'll send him a bonus At the end of this interview, you're sending him money too. (laughs) There's a a lot of us.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Um, I'm sure you. I mean, talking to you a little bit, you kind of know how we usually start things off. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about um, how you how did you discover Bonhoeffer?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I, I really think if you ask any any Christian person, what are the what are the books that that most shaped their life as a Christian. They'll have books like Mere Christianity um, on that list. And for me, the cost of discipleship was just like a book that was around that I read. And honestly, even even before um, there was Twitter, the cost of discipleship was like this book of really intense tweets <laughs> that as a young totally. uh, teenager in Tennessee, it was just like, Man, you should listen to this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was kind of, that was kind of it for a while. Yeah. But I ended up at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and there was uh, there was a class there that was a Bonhoeffer seminar, and I became I was a, an ethics major, um, ethics and theology undergrad. And once you got up to these upper level elective classes in this program, you had a seminar style format. And and basically what we would do is we would take a work by Bonhoeffer, and we would own that for the whole semester. We would read read the book, um, write a 25-page research paper that throughout every single week, somebody was presenting their research paper. And that week, we were supposed to read the other student's book and then receive that that paper and have a discussion, much like a um, what I've seen in other Ph.D. programs. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, we were going to uh, study Bonhoeffer with David Gushy, who was a professor there. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Gushy left the semester before I took it, and so I ended up taking uh, the class with Greg Thornberry and Taylor Worley, who are, are, um, were both professors at Union. Taylor was also a student from Union who had come back. Um, and it was, it was the most formative class mm. in all of my education. My book was Christ the center mm-hmm. and I chose it because I was like, well, that looks, like, that looks manageable. Yeah. And and when I chose it, I realized, um, oh, Bonhoeffer's Christology is like the key that opens up everything else. So Devin, sure. you, your, your paper better be good was what they told me. I yeah. thought, oh no. <laughs> um, you know, looking back, I'm glad I didn't get in being or Sanctorum communio <laughs> at, at age nineteen, yeah. twenty years old, but uh but that's where I started.
0: Uh-huh. And what uh what led you to down the road to towards a PhD? What
1: yeah, so so after undergrad, um you know, there's some people that, that study theology in Bible in undergrad and they leave that experience and say, God called me to be a children's minister. I'm going to go to seminary,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, especially in the evangelical churches. That is often the case. I did not have a clear God told me to do this. Um, I would love for, the, for for God to direct my life that way. But that was not what had happened. But I, I did have an inward sense that the next step was seminary. Mm-hmm. Um. And I ended up on this this course towards southeastern seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina Thinking that I was I was engaged to be married at that point We were gonna pack up a U-Haul head to the East Coast like right after the honeymoon Mm -hmm. and about 11 days before um, the wedding I was asked to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is like our a denominational meeting, mm-hmm. and talk about a tornado that had blown up our college. And so I was gonna be like a tornado refugee and help like raise money for the school or something. Sure. And when I showed up at this meeting, I met a professor named Russell Moore. And um, he was the newly appointed dean and provost of another seminary, Southern Seminary. And um, my Bonhoeffer professor, uh, Dr. Greg Thornberry, was also there, and he's, he encouraged me, you should, you should consider Southern. And I was like, no, we're, I'm getting married in 11 days, no way. Well, at that, at that meeting, there was a, an internship position open at Southern Seminary, and um, Dr. Moore met me and invited me to come serve as an intern at that school. So 11 days before our wedding, I called my wife from Indianapolis and said, hey, I think we should move to Louisville Uh, and she was like in the middle of wedding planning and all that Mm -hmm. and um, we ended up not going to southeastern going to southern seminary Um, and while we were at southern it was all it was all Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and kind of these general type courses so that when I got to the PhD there was not like a um, there was not like a clear next step I applied to Southeastern Seminary's PhD, but I still wanted to study at Southeastern. Um, love their faculty. In particular, uh, Dr. Bruce Ashford had reached out to me and recruited me to come um, study with him, and I was so excited, so honored to do that. And, and They basically put it to me like this, look, you either need to specialize in a discipline and become an expert in a discipline, or you need to find a figure from church history and kind of devote yourself. To him or her, and I was like, "Well, listen, like I've only I've only read two um, figures from church history extensively. One was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, really thanks to my undergrad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and C.S. Lewis. Yeah,
0: same.
1: And um, and I think that I probably could do better with Bonhoeffer than Lewis in, in a PhD studies. Mm. Wow, and that was that was kind of my decision making process."
0: And you started writing on Bonhoeffer and Mission. Well, That's how where did, I ended up. How did how did Mission come about? Well, it did Bonhoeffer. That
1: was not my first idea. My first idea was Bonhoeffer and Race.
0: Oh,
1: wow! And I want to give a shout out to Reggie Williams for uh, beating everybody to the punch with Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also, Reggie, if you are listening, my email is in your inbox. <laughs> Please respond. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Um, I I, I started going down that path um, around 2000, let's see, 2004, 2008. I would say about 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, It was around the the time that Trayvon Martin um, was killed. And I became uh, aware of Bonhoeffer's experience in Harlem, mm-hmm. in Abyssinian Baptist Church, as so I began as I continued my Bonhoeffer studies and I realized I came I, I came across this exchange um between um Bonhoeffer um and his family back home in Germany and um Bonhoeffer received a letter that said it was talking about like, Bonhoeffer was expressing this interest in what's going on back home. Mm-hmm. Basically is, is is Hitler really a threat? Yeah. Uh, to our our uh, German culture and uh, Bonhoeffer the, the exchange went something like and I, I wish I had a book this is why I do Bonhoeffer studies in a library and not on a podcast <laughs> um, but it was something along the lines of the Negro problem in America or no I'm sorry the German the Jewish question in Germany pales in comparison to the Negro problem in America right That juxtaposition for those of us who have grown up with World War II films Mm -hmm. informing our imagination about the horrors of the Holocaust, and knowing where we are with um, racial tension in America just wrecked my heart. I Mm -hmm. thought, like, Bonhoeffer saw it. Yeah. Like, he was was also aware of racism in Germany in 1930 and yet he was saying that this problem is worse. What am I gonna do about it? Yeah. And so I started walking down that path, um, which, which I, I don't, I, there are other scholars that were making, substan- especially African-American scholars, that were making substantial progress in that area, and it was around that time I, I met up with J. Cameron Carter, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Carter at Duke University at the time, Um, he one of his PhD students was a peer in my Bonhoeffer seminar and we set up a dinner we shut down the restaurant five hours of conversation on Bonhoeffer and race Wow! it was like an education and dr. Carter's taught a Bonhoeffer class at Duke for a long time and um, I I became more uh, oriented into the world of like Bonhoeffer in particular critical race theory and black studies And, um, it was then I decided that I was not pursuing a novel, um, area of study Mm -hmm. that I, I probably needed to, um, pursue something that was a a little less engaged at that point. Mm -hmm.
0: So how did you, how did you decide mission? Uh, Yeah. So then,
1: so then it was like, I've written all these papers and done all this research with like Bonhoeffer and, uh, theology of creation and culture, like all the things that would be necessary or that course of study. What what else can I apply some of that study towards? Mm-hmm. And um, I came across a uh, an article in a festschrift for F. Burton Nelson, and um, it was about Bonhoeffer and the Great Commission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, if if you know, like evangelicals, American evangelicals, the Great Commission is one of the most important passages. In all of scripture like Matthew chapter 28 like we uh, preach that passage of scripture without fail every year no matter what you can be you can be in a year-long study of the book of Romans you will come back to Matthew 28 Mm -hmm. to do like the Lottie moon offering uh, (laughs) at Christmas time (laughs) totally so um, that I was just reading through Bonhoeffer book found this essay and I thought huh I wonder if there's any dissertations on this topic begin to like raid ProQuest and all the databases. And I'm like, nobody's really engaged this idea, this question, does Bonhoeffer have a theology of mission? Hmm. And I I just don't think it's a question that is at the top of the priority list amongst theologians. Um, Because Bonhoeffer doesn't write explicit, there's not like a book on mission. So that's how, that's how it started. I thought, well, this is an area that does not have a lot of competition. And being the featherweight intellectually that I am, I decided to, to step in and, and maybe make a small, at least provide an outline for, uh, for great scholars after me to take it up and improve on.
0: So do you think, um, I guess to answer the question, does he have a, does he have a theology of mission from, mm-hmm. from your findings?
1: No, uh, he does not have a proper theology of mission. And, mm-hmm. um, and Richard Blee's is the author of the, the book chapter that I, mm-hmm. that I was referencing, and he answers that question definitively no, it's a, but it's a no but. Mm-hmm. My argument in my dissertation is, is that um, Bonhoeffer's theology has the logic of mission.
0: Yeah, Totally
1: that God is pursuing his creation, the world and humanity. Um, And there is a posture. God has a posture of mission. The divine, the divine eye Mm -hmm. has a a posture of an orientation towards us as his, as his possession. Mm -hmm. And I, the methodology that I'm using comes from a really good dissertation by David Congdon, um, on Bultmann. His dissertation, which was turned into uh, a book as well, um, that I found very helpful, was that Bultmann's demythologizing project um, is a, a type of theology of mission. Hmm. Wow. And I think that were missiologists and church, church practitioners to take Bonhoeffer's theology of God, of creation, his Christology, um, his religionless Christian, the New Theology especially, mm-hmm. and apply it towards church, which 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 it always has been. If you ever read the popular like trade books about Bonhoeffer, it's always turns into applied theology mm-hmm. for like church planners. I mean, how many church planners do you know that are assigning <laughs> life together? It's like our, yeah, our totally. launch team has to read life together yeah. because we want to get community, right? It just naturally fits. Yeah, And and so I felt confident that, that that thesis is defensible, even though, no, he did not have a theology of mission.
0: It's really funny that you say that because uh, the other day I was looking through um, some of my notes on discipleship the first time I read it. And uh, I'm just thinking about these kind of uh, evangelical categories that we have when we were bringing to Bonhoeffer and being like you know trying to categorize it and kind of figure out okay what would he say about this kind of concept that I have from the Bible or from you know other books that I've read and one of my notes in discipleship is he seems to be talking about following Jesus instead of like making disciple <laughs> like well, I've you know being an evangelical I read like pastor books on how to right. make disciples. I see what you're saying. Yeah, like you know, like here's all right, for the first few weeks, you know, you have like a you have accountability, you like read your Bibles together, you pray. So I'm like going into discipleship. Yeah. Expecting to find that and then it's just like him just talking about you know Sermon on the Mount and what it means to follow Jesus. To knock folga. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that is um and and there always are cultural layers everybody on every point of the theological spectrum to get to um, understanding and, and this is this is the work of every theologian every theologian even systematic and biblical theologians have to do interpretive work mm-hmm. to try to remove um, bias and, and, and not that you can ever get to some sort of you know tabula rasa uh, level of freedom from that but but I, I think it's example. it's it's very helpful for example that Stephen Haynes wrote a book on the Bonhoeffer phenomenon mm-hmm. which is basically a book um, of of criticism for Bonhoeffer criticism it kind of mm-hmm. helps us become aware that there are ways that as uh, Bonhoeffer students we project our own narratives there and, and it, it is especially, can be the case that it's kind of thinly veiled autobiography mm-hmm. we read all of church history through the lens of what we hope they're saying to us wow yeah that's so, so that true. so that we can we can uh employ ideas we need ideas to work for us yeah
0: hmm that's that's really interesting i think i had the same experience reading uh the battle for bonhoeffer by Stephen Hayes. Mm-hmm. but i yeah, it's the most recent. It's yeah. the most recent, book. Yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I mean, who was the, my second episode? My first episode was with Steve Besner, and then my second episode was with him. And um, at this point, I was still thinking that Bonhoeffer thought like a conservative evangelical. And uh, then I read his book, and I'm like, oh wow, this is so enlightening. Um, mm-hmm. And to know that there's been all these different receptions and like, I, I learned a ton through that. And I, I guess that's something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I think we we both. Uh, I mean, I, I told you, <laughs> shout out to the church of Nolensville, by the way, for providing a place for us to record, that I told you that if, if I lived in Nolensville, I'd probably go to church here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we, we probably align theologically really well. Um, what has it been like for you studying Bonhoeffer, who has a lot of different ideas than you, you or I would have? What's that been like?
1: The best Bonhoeffer scholars in the world would not join my small group. <laughs>
0: yeah. Totally, probably. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, and I I think they do the best work. Mm-hmm. I really do. I uh, last year went to Washington D.C. and met with Victoria Barnett, mm. um, who I think is just one of the best. He's is one of the, the be- God's best gifts to Bonhoeffer scholarship. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I started off my Bonhoeffer studies prior to the Bonhoeffer seminar, taking ethics classes with uh, David Gushy. Mm -hmm. And I remember I wrote a paper about gender in an ethics course. And he wrote back in his feedback something like, I think you and I probably disagree about some ideas, but I think that you're you're a really gifted writer and I think you should really devote yourself to this. Mm And I didn't even know that I disagreed with him about anything. Like, when you're an undergrad, you don't know that there's teams.
0: Yeah,
1: right? There's all these totally. teams. There's all these, all this competition in especially academic life. And it made me feel really sad the more and more I learned that it was like this. It, that basically, it's like American politics. Mm-hmm. There's There are these identity groups where it's these are the good, these are the the black hats and the white hats and it's mm-hmm. like a western and mm-hmm. you know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this even applies to biblical interpretation. It really should cause us to pause when our Jesus looks and sounds and acts just like us and our, our friends. A Jesus that can never speak to you from a place that's different than wherever you're standing mm-hmm may not be Jesus at all and and that applies of course to um, to church history and so for me um, I think from the very beginning I've always been aware that I have to have a relationship of humility and learning from people who don't agree with me about it there's no other choice because mm-hmm. frankly the people that attend my church don't agree with me about everything <laughs> yeah there's just there's nobody that that I line up with 100. I mean, yeah. Bonhoeffer and Bart didn't agree about everything, yeah. and they loved and admired each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and people often conflate their their ideas together. That Bonhoeffer was a Bardi,an mm-hmm. um, which is something we could we could talk about another time. But um, I, I really I really lament the absence of conservative scholarship in the area of Bonhoeffer studies. Mm-hmm. Um, there just has not been a lot of interest. I blame it on the sixties and Mm seventies. Um, Bonhoeffer had a period before he was the evangelical token that he's become in the 2010s. He was, uh, a boogeyman worse than Karl Barth.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, for a long time in America, Mm -hmm. he was, he was a evangelical boogeyman. Wow. And so, uh, I, I find it to be, I told Dr. Barnett, this is a lonely, uh, it makes me nervous because um, I, I don't imagine, I imagine I will receive a lot of projection that, oh, this is a kid from Tennessee. Um, he still um, believes in inerrancy. How quaint. Um, he must believe this, 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 and this. He must vote for him, 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 and her. Um, which which I find um, to be an obstacle between um, people who can benefit one another and have a robust community of scholarship that can be really helpful to help um, undergraduates um, maintain interest in the real Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, been, that's been my experience too. I think, uh, yeah, I've I found my conversations with Bonhoeffer scholars, they've all been Incredible. I mean, every single episode I've had, everyone's been so welcoming and so willing to share their knowledge, and it's been great. But I think coming into this thing, and especially realizing that Bonhoeffer believes a lot of different things than I do, it's been definitely like dipping my toe in the water to see, like, mm-hmm. Okay, I went to Moody for my undergrad. Uh, do you still want to talk? Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of. And I mean, that's been my experience in my, my graduate studies. I, I'm at a, a mm-hmm. press and liberal university, and... So there's like everything across the spectrum, and then I'm like, I just came here from Moody from down the road, you know. And
1: well, and is there any faculty that gets along with one another at any uh, major academic institution? <laughs> it's like we, we don't even have unity at the at the faculty level. Um, and really, what I'm talking about is not uniformity. I'm I'm really talking about gentleness and kindness mm. and self control. Yeah. Um, that that is what seems to me um, the virtues. Um, that are missing from just even the way that we uh, get together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like, I, 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 um, I love opportunities like this to get together and talk with anybody about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But, but back to, your, to kind of, I think, a, a related question that I, I'm not sure if you asked it quite this way, but I think we've been talking around it. It's like, what do you do... When Bonhoeffer disagrees with you, and if you're a Bonhoeffer reader, and you never feel like he does, then you're probably not reading him very closely, mm-hmm. or you're not understanding his Germanness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. Um, as, at least as American, I'm assuming here, an in American um, interpretive context, yeah. which would be very different, by the way, than if we were studying him as native Germans. We'd have a different point of view. I, I, for me, the thing that that I'll tell you that was a process was when I really understood, I felt like I better understood Bonhoeffer's theology of uh, the Word of God and Revelation. Hmm. You know, in his Christology lectures, he really goes after verbal, plenary, uh, sorry, inspiration. (laughs) Uh, I lost my words there for a second. And... For for me as a, a conservative, Carl Henry John Stott mm-hmm. evangelical, uh, threw one Baptist in there to keep my Baptist <laughs> credentials. Carl F H Henry, but I find verbal plenary inspiration to be a cogent idea. Mm-hmm. I don't find that to be intellectually weak. Mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer does, um, and I and a lot of by the way. A lot of other evangelical mascots were not inerrantists. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we evangelicals just don't acknowledge that. Um, okay. C.S. Lewis would not would not be allowed to probably teach. Or I'd, okay, I'd probably let him teach. Language, <laughs> this would be too interesting. Yeah, yeah but, totally. <laughs> but he wouldn't want to, probably. Yeah. Uh, he'd probably rather be uh, at his church. But my point being that is there a, a, a more warm and fuzzy evangelical feeling than than reading the Chronicles of Narnia as a family, and yet there are major points of disagreement that would cause a church plant to split up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, these are these are serious ideas,
0: totally.
1: yeah. um, and yet um, that's okay. Um, it's okay to learn um, from one another, even when we disagree about very serious. Uh, matters, and, and by the way, Bonhoeffer is not anybody's um, patsy. He's not a mascot for any team. Yeah. He was his own. And, and uh, we were talking a little bit before the recording about the question of whether or not Bonhoeffer was a Bardian. And uh, my kind of quippy answer to, to that is, he was Bonhoeffrian.
0: Yeah.
1: Like my thesis on that question is, Bonhoeffer was his own. Man and, and not even his hero, Karl Barth, owns all of Bonhoeffer's convictions. He doesn't own Bonhoeffer's conscience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we, we just talked about that with Peter Hooten like a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. He talks about um, his critiques of positivism, of re- revelation, and mm-hmm. he writes about that in letters and papers.
1: That's right. Hmm.
0: That's great. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting to think about um, if you've read all of Bonhoeffer. Um, what what book you would suggest if someone came to you and said where should I start? I think that kind of like mm-hmm. gives a, a good taste for uh, because there are some that are really straightforward and not controversial at all. Like Life Together. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who's read that book and has been like not blown away. Mm-hmm. I think mean, it's that's my Desert Island Book, by the way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the loneliest Desert Island Book possible because uh, it's all about community and you're by yourself. Um, but yeah, I imagine that uh, there are other people who would suggest, you know, maybe it's letters and papers or act being or ethics. Um, I mean, there's, it's just really diverse. He tackles a lot of issues. Some of it's really interesting because he's, you know, he's just writing letters to his friend and mm-hmm. thinking about w- what's happening in the world and how are we going to rebuild this and what's that going to look like theologically and how are we going to help the church. and uh, Yeah, it's just fascinating.
1: Well, and for me, it's like who's asking and why are they asking? Mm-hmm. Um, because the, I, I accept uh, Clifford Green's encouragement in his Theology of Sociality book that reading Bonhoeffer chronologically uh, is something that's been neglected because of the order of publication mm-hmm. in English. Uh, because, uh, spoiler alert, Torum Communio and Act and Being aren't um, a day at the park. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's not the fir- those are not the first books to fly off the shelf in America, uh-huh. right? Um, but reading Bonhoeffer chronologically does make a lot more sense of Bonhoeffer if your goal is to interpret uh, letters and papers well.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: There's continuity from beginning to end in the Bonhoeffer corpus. But you know what? If I have a friend who's just trying to take an interest in Bonhoeffer because mm-hmm. he knows I'm wearing a Bonhoeffer sweatshirt, <laughs> which I am.
0: It is. It is amazing. I'm,
1: I'm wearing. Where'd you get it? Um, Missionalwear.com. All right. We'll put a Bonhoeffer face on anything. I want it. So you can get a coffee mug. You can get a different color sweatshirt. Um, shout out to Missionalwear. Yeah. I I now feel like I'm a social media influencer and they should send me more Bonhoeffer <laughs> yeah, swag Definitely, since I'm doing this free ad. But, um, yeah. If it's just my buddy who's, who's taken an interest, I'm probably not going to say, you know, I think it's time for you to explore the, the social ontic in, in Sanctorum Communio. That would be cruelty and they'd never, I'd lose a lot of friends that way.
0: That was my experience. Uh, I decided I'm gonna get into Bonhoeffer studies this is before way before the podcast this is probably like two years before I started doing this and I was like well the first volume one let's do this and I jumped straight into Saint or with no context and I got like you know 50 pages in, and it was like I don't understand any of this and then like you know two years later I read Michael Mawson's book and it's like oh this is oh, this is what's going on and then I go back and read mm-hmm. Saint or and it's like oh like, I'm tracking everywhere. It's, it's not one that you can just walk through without having someone over your shoulder kind of pointing, pointing well, things out.
1: I, I was thinking about about this question uh, this morning on a, on a run, mm-hmm. which is something that Bonhoeffer nerds do. So if you're a casual listener to this podcast, this is what we think about all the time. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how Bonhoeffer's theological method could be applied to Bonhoeffer studies. And here's what I mean by that. (laughs) So almost everybody starts with cost of discipleship. It's just what happens. It's cost of discipleship or it's life together. And I I think that that's like the anxiety-causing middle (laughs) of Bonhoeffer studies. Uh -uh. Because you don't really know what you don't know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, the the text, the words could not be plainer. Mm Mm-hmm but the context could not be further from your imagination at first read. And so you have to do what Bonhoeffer encourages you to do with the biblical text. You have to return to it with your knowledge and interpret it again. Mm -hmm. Let the text norm you,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, develop new, uh, a new theology of Bonhoeffer, bring that back to the text and repeat the process. Mm -hmm. And, Man, has that been the process for me. I read in the middle of the Bonhoeffer Corpus and then had to go back to the beginning and then read all the way to the end. And how is that unlike when you start reading the Gospel of John as a new Christian and you're like, well, man, maybe Genesis has like in the beginning was the word. Okay. uh, There's another part that's in the beginning. I'm going to go back there. Um, Where is all this headed? I'm going to go to the end. There's just, this this is a lifetime worth of work. Mm -hmm. To devote yourself to reading the Mm DBWE, or if you're really cool, the DBW, just the Verka.
0: um,
1: Then man, I I think that's the way you have to do it. Nobody can enter in with the right amount of context. You just got to continue. It's an iterative approach. To study, and um, man, I'm I'm here for it. That's, I I guess through God's providence, that's what I'm in the middle of doing, and that's what I uh, inevitably will continue to do the rest of my life. Is just continue, which for me takes some of the the pompousness off of how I ought to carry myself. It's Mm -hmm. like I know a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer because I've been reading him. Since 2006,
0: yeah.
1: in school and read costs of discipleship, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2002. Yeah. Well, um, that's a long time, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's it's I've spent more time thinking about this guy than a lot of others, and I feel like I'm only finding out how little I understand yeah. the further I go. Mm-hmm. So why would I ever treat someone else like I know it all? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's another just kind of uh, academic virtue we've got to cultivate is a greater and greater humility towards those whom we're, we're studying.
0: I, I found that al- almost entirely coming to Bonhoeffer Scholarship with a sort of like, I really want to, do serious Bonhoeffer studies. But it's a really welcoming community. I've been blown away by that. I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, visiting Dr. Barnett. She's amazing.
1: Was a, she gave me like three hours, drop oh. the hat.
0: She's on the list, too. <laughs> she, but she knows she's on the list. I, I reached out to her on Twitter. It's just sort of, um, yeah, I have a couple more lined up and then, then I'm coming for you. <laughs> Dr. Barnett, if you're listening, um, she's the best. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, every every Bonhoeffer, like, the blue DBWE, you just see her name over and over and over. It's great. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's been my experience is that everyone's, as long as you're there and you're saying, I really want to take this seriously, I want to try to get into as into the context as possible to really interpret this well, which I think we have, like, a lot of us have the advantage of trying to do that with our Bible so we're really familiar with that like mm-hmm. reading commentaries and trying to place ourselves like in a Judeo-Christian worldview you know 2,000 years ago and be like I'm reading Paul and the Gift by John Barclay right now and it's exactly what it's about it's mm-hmm. just like wh- what would they understand gift 2000 2000- so applying that taking that and applying it to Bonhoeffer studies has been so helpful for me because I mean that's like all I did in my undergrad so coming here I'm like okay well before I start reading this who's Carl Bart who's trolls, you know, you have to go through the names and understand what they thought so understand how he's interacting with their thought. Back. It's been it's been really great. Um,
1: which puts us in a vulnerable position. Like we can't be Schleiermacher experts to the level that we are Bonhoeffer experts simultaneously because it there there are only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. So you're going to have more depth of knowledge and we've got to We've got to do this thing leaning on one another. Mm-hmm. Like I depend on John Webster as a guy, a trustworthy guide to Karl Barth. Mm-hmm. That's just,
0: totally.
1: that's just somebody who I found his work to be really helpful to me. Now, those that are listening to this, that, that have another Karl Barth guide are going to say, Oh, you should, you should devote yourself to this person instead. And, but we're all making those types of choices all the time. Mm-hmm. Because when you start to add up all of the influences um, I mean, just, I, I was just thinking about his, Bonhoeffer's Tubingen professors yeah. Adolf Schlatter, Carl Gruß, Paul Volz. Yeah. Those aren't the names on kind of the ESPN Sports Center highlight reel <laughs> of Bonhoeffer's life. But they're important. Yeah. They're important. How many years is the right amount yeah. of your, your, your vaporous life? To devote to those three professors ideas so that you could know how they influenced Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Man, it's just the, the process of scholarship, all you're becoming an expert in is you're becoming more precise at diagnosing these are the things that I don't know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: here are the things I uh, can help contribute to the conversation. I, I view my dissertation as a as really a framework for, for other people to take up these questions and take it, uh, take it to the goal line, so to speak.
0: Excellent. Well, I, I end every episode with uh, a game of Desert Island. Okay. So uh, we'll do that now. Um, you're trapped on a desert island. You get one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer. could be a biography. could be the- theology. Um,
1: what two books are you taking? It's Creation and Fall. Wow. Right now. This is a, that's so, a so like you know, I'm I'm a man in process. So this is yeah. this is something that that you ask you ask me next month, it changes sure. again.
0: Well, why yeah, why creation and fall? I, I'm going to start asking that just so you know, future listeners. We're we're going to start asking. Has why. anyone
1: answered creation and fall yet? I don't think so. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, that's why I was like, wow.
1: <laughs> My enneagram number four wing is uh, going off right now. I feel unique. So. Yeah, I, I think it's because I've come to appreciate how much of his previous work is represented there without mm-hmm. me having known it before. Theological interpretation of scripture is there. Mm-hmm. Doctrine of creation is there. Doctrine of sin is there. Um, and honestly, I, I think it's because that's a book that has helped me to think about in my own personal um spiritual life when I think about the effects of sin on me and on the world. His idea of of God's creation, humanity being in a free fall
0: mm-hmm.
1: and God preserving us through these orders of preservation is an idea that that helps make sense of a scary world around me. I mean we're we're recording this podcast in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And all of us are struggling with anxiety and fear, and the world feels very out of control in every sphere of the world. Mm-hmm. And to, to think of God's grace through these spheres and think about how our, the way our culture could be to help preserve not just Christians, but all of uh, mankind, to me is a really hopeful Concept and so I, I've just found that some ideas in creation fall are working for me in my um, conceptualization of of the Christian life. Excellent. Um, the book about Bonhoeffer. I know we're in this phase now in Bonhoeffer scholarship where it's like time to move past Bethke. <laughs> I understand that, but. Just like Jacques Derrida had, was asked the question, what's post post modernism? Yeah. I'm kind of asking the question, what's post post Bethka going to be?
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, Derrida said there will be a return to religion. I, I'm going to say there's going to be a return to Bethka. Yeah. And I'm just going to stick with Bethka.
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to start making that like a you can't choose. You a, can't choose I, Bethka. I think. I think, yeah, probably 90% of the episodes I've done have been without fail. That's, that's,
1: I mean the other way you could choice. go is to convince um Harper Collins to publish a compendium that has the first half of the book is Eric Metaxas and the second half is Charles Marsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that that'd be like a form of dialectic that could really uh, <laughs> keep you keep you interested for a long time. Yeah, it would be like whiplash over <laughs> and over, and over. <laughs> That'd be interesting, but not I'm going to stick with my first yep. answer, but, uh, Excellent. because that's just, um, it might as well be part of the blue and white Fortress DBWE set on right. my bookshelf. I've got like six copies of it.
0: I gotta get it. I mean, I've just finished school. I'll be walking in October, so I'm free uh, to, to read kind of like uh-huh. fun now, uh, and most of my, uh. Most of my thesis didn't require biographical information. It was more just like dealing with the mm-hmm. text and trying to argue certain things about his theology. So, it, I mean, there was a little biographical stuff in there, but not much. So, now that I have the time.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, in, isn't this crazy? My undergrad seminar, we were we were held accountable to read like 250 pages a week of Bethke. Wow. While we were doing the other work. Wow. So, that's crazy. Uh, we covered a tremendous amount. This is an encouragement to any professor that undergrads will rise to the level of expectation that you get. Totally. And they will hate you while they're, you're doing, holding them accountable and they will love you when they graduate. Mm-hmm. Those, that's my, those are my favorite classes.
0: And graduate programs as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been my experience in the program that I'm in. I have some classes that are insanely hard and I leave and I'm like, I know so much more than I did when I started this. Or, you know. Turn in what what's required of me, yeah. and then move on.
1: Just it's all in the marketing. You just got to make a t shirt that says "Eberhard Bethke Better Than Ultimate Frisbee." Yeah, there you go. And you can uh, you can get by because it is. I uh, I don't I don't regret any time I stayed in the dorm and read uh, Bonhoeffer <laughs> in college.
0: Maybe at missional aware can make it, make that. Hey, t- there t-shirt. you go. <laughs> <laughs> you may have a sponsor by the end of the season. <laughs> Let's hope so. Um, well. I think that will wrap us up. Um, if anyone wants to know more, reach out to you. Twitter probably the best place. Or uh,
1: yeah, they uh, can engage with me on on Twitter. I, I, you know, I'm I'm a hermit until I finish this this dissertation. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Obviously, um, yeah. When you're done, I'd love to have you on again and just kind of walk, walk through everything and, and learn what you figured, <laughs> what yeah. you, what you learned, um, and learn from you some more. But this has been great. Thanks so
1: much for having me
0: on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Bonhoeffer pod. I've created this Patreon for a few reasons. One, the podcast has production costs, and it would be nice to offset some of that. Two, I hope to eventually transition this podcast from monthly to at least bi-weekly. And three, it will allow us to connect more regularly about Bonhoeffer scholarship. So please consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com slash Bonhoeffer pod.
1: And as always, thanks for listening.